HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit corin.com. This week on Meet and Three, we bring you stories about the coldest, darkest season. We start in a California vineyard. It's cold, but it's wet, and things are still alive. There's a lot of life in this soil. We explore two frontiers of cocktail culture, luxury ice and the rise of non-alcoholic drinks. The rocks traditionally becomes 25% of your drink's volume, and as such, it imparts smells and tastes. And we investigate the risks facing New York City delivery workers during the harsh winter. In the wintertime, after two hours of biking, it's quite easy, actually, for the bikes to sting upside down or slips or slide. Tune in to this week's episode of Meat and 3, that's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E, for some food for thought to sustain you through the dead of winter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, welcome to Japan Eats. I'm your host, Aki Kotema, a food writer and director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every daily in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, so I try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And my guest today is Yuki Minakawa, beverage and service director at Sushi Ginza Onodera in New York City, which has two Michelin stars. And Yuki has worked in some of the uh, New York City's top Japanese restaurants, such as Masa and Japanese Brasserie and Kajitsu. She studied in front of house positions before becoming a certified sake sommelier and diving into the world of cocktails. Sushi restaurants used to offer Japanese beer and sake only, but now you can find interesting pairings with a diverse range of beverages, including cocktails, spirits, and wine. So today we'll discuss Yuki's interesting background. Um, she's from Brazil, by the way, and can speak uh, four different languages and how she has built a career as a beverage expert, uh, what to pair with Japanese cuisine, and much, much more. 
But、uh, before we start, Japan Eats is available on the Heritage Radio Network website as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify and subscribe to Japan Eats. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Also, if you have any ideas about topics of the show or show guests, please let us know. You can email us at japaneeds at heritageradionetwork.org or kikokatema.com. Now, let's start our conversation with Yuki Minakao. Hello, Yuki. Welcome to Japaneeds. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here with you. So, yes. So,、um, let's talk about your background first because this is so interesting. So, I heard you were born and grew up in Brazil. And,、uh, of course, as I said earlier, you are fluent in Japanese, Portuguese, Spanish, and English. So, tell us about your childhood, how you grew up, and your life in Brazil. Um, so, I was born and raised in Brazil. I was born in Brasilia, the capital, but I moved to Rio when I was very, very, I was a baby, still was、uh, about two months old. And I stayed in Rio until I was 10. Then I went back to Brasilia when I was 10 and stayed there until I was 17 before、mm. I went to Japan. Oh, wow.、Yeah. So, in, in Brazil, I would say that I grew up mainly with my mother.、Um, my mother is Brazilian. So, I, I grew up with the Brazilian culture mainly,、um, eating rice and beans,、uh, having in my house was a, a very specific one,、uh, everything we had in a week. So, every week we definitely had a, a cow liver. We had a, that I hate it. <laughs> I now, it. I, now I love it. But <laughs> when I was a child, it was a little bit of a challenge.、Mm. Um, but then every day we had.、Uh, Something different, a chicken, fish, meat.、Uh, and the weekends we had like lasagna, stroganoff, and my mom used to create like very fun dishes that children used to like.、Mm. Um, and basically, I grew up mostly with、uh, the Brazilian culture on food.、Um, and having a Japanese dad, little by little, was introduced to me the Japanese food.、Mm. Um, but in Brazil, Brazil, the thing we ate mostly as fun was the Instant ramen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> right. Wow, that's interesting. So, and it's interesting, you are totally in the world of Japanese cuisine. Yes. Every day. So, okay. Um, so, um, you used to be a fashion model、yes. as well. And I can tell.、Uh, too bad the listeners can see you.、Um, so, how did, you,、uh, did that career start and develop as a model? I started modeling when I was about 14 in Brazil, actually in Brasilia, for like events、um, uh, and some like very specific special commercials.、Um, I was being more of a video person than a, a picture person. But in Brasilia, being the capital and being the place where the government is, we have a lot of like very special、uh, government parties where they need people to、uh, uh, be at the front and, and greet the customers and, and or their politics and bring it inside. Or even when we had、uh, the tennis competition inside Brasilia, I was one of the persons that greeted the players at the airport, made sure they were guided to the right place, and did things like that. When I was about 15, I、uh, participated in, in a modeling competition called the Look of the Year from Elite Models. So I did that when I was 15. When I was 16, I got fifth place in the national, and I was invited to go to Japan. Wow. But It was before I finished high school, so my mom said no.、Mm. <laughs> and she said, You only would be able to go after high school. So when 17, I finished high school, I packed my bags and went to Japan、oh, to become、wow. a model.、Mm. Yes. Well, that sounds like your current career to you know, be faced with customers. 
yes. diverse different kinds of customers and uh, introduce great beverages to to them that sounds like your career started when you were already 14 years old yes <laughs> I, I definitely my my customer service and uh understanding uh people and being able to interact with them it came with me in a very early age mm. wow so so you said uh, you uh um you went to japan when i was 17 so you were modeling when yes. you were there? Yes, oh, I was okay. there. I arrived in Japan when I was 17. In, uh, in January, it was extremely cold. It was actually a snow day. And it really surprised me. I never thought Tokyo would snow. <laughs> and they Tokyo greeted me with a beautiful snow. And I stayed there 15 years working as a model, wow. uh, being one of the top uh, models of my agency. Mm. Did a lot of commercials for a lot of big brands. Right. Wow. So did you enjoy life in Tokyo? Tokyo is amazing. It's real. Um, at Tokyo gave me the chance uh, to be introduced to everything. I got there when I was 17. So in food-wise, everything was introduced to me in Tokyo. My first Japanese curry was in Tokyo. My first lobster was in Tokyo. Natto. I wouldn't say sushi and sashimi because because of my father, I had a little bit of contact with, but I never really ate. Mm. <laughs> Nowadays, I just love Japanese cuisine oh, incredibly, wow. yes. Mm. So you are really building up your career towards what you're doing right now, sounds like. And uh, so you moved to New York City in 2008. So what made you to move back to New York? So in 2008, what happened was um, my ex-boyfriend uh, at that time, uh, my boyfriend at that time, now my ex, um, he we met in Japan. Uh, we moved to Brazil together. Um, he actually got a job in Brazil, but his training was here in New York. So he came to train in New York. The company liked him so much and asked him to move to New York. And with, when he moved, I ended up moving with him. Mm. So that sounds like a destiny. Yes. <laughs> and you never left. And I never left. We broke up. He went back. He was actually not American. He was Colombian. He went back to Colombia and I stayed in New York. Mm. What's the reason for that? Did you... You know, everybody has different reasons to stay in New York, right? So what is your reason? Mine was my career, definitely. Um, because of him, I came um, and I was trying to pursue modeling at that time in 2008. But it's it was the age, uh, the, the working permit problem, all of that. Um, I couldn't pursue modeling. Um, and my skill beside... Um, modeling was speaking Japanese and having a very strong customer service background. So I decided to uh, approach a Japanese restaurant and try to work uh, with them. And I got a job and that's how my career started here in New York. Mm -hmm. So I heard that the first place you started working uh, was at uh, Sobatoto in the Midtown. Yes. Right. So I, I know the Soba chef that Back then was Shuichi Kotani. Yes, that yeah. was my first chef that I having, have a pleasure to work with. Mm. Um, and I was hired to be a hostess at Sobatoto. I hosted there for about four months. And immediately they made me an assistant manager. Mm. So you must be really good. <laughs> Naturally, you've been trained <laughs> for doing that even. I, I believe so. I believe my, my whole training from modeling time and customer service and understanding uh, very difficult clients <laughs> came from a very early age. Mm. Right. So, um, yeah, so over the last 10 years or so, you've been uh, immersed in the Japanese restaurant industry in New York City. So... Before, after Subatoto, 
And uh, before Sushi Ginza no Dera, which is your current job, uh, w- what kind of places did you work? Um, after Sobatoto, I was a wine consultant for Winebow. I actually sold wine um, and I help um, bring wines to Japanese customers or to Japanese restaurants. And Omainbo had a sake portfolio, so we got sake in Western uh, restaurants and wine in Japanese restaurants. Mm. Um, after Omainbo, um, I was thinking what to do if I should pursue my wine career or my sake career, and I decided for sake as being Jap- half Japanese, and at that time it was lacking um, the sake sommeliers uh, on the floor in the restaurants. Um, so then I decided to work at, in Decibel mm. to learn. Right. Uh, so I did Decibel for sake, and Momokawa, well, the Shabu Shabu place, I work with wine. Right. So just for, this is a lot going on here. <laughs> so well, that when you started working with Wineboy, Wineboy is one of the, in my opinion, you know, very boutique, really good uh, section of brands. And uh, so, but you, you studied wine at that point already? Yes, so when I got into Winebow, um, they had a, a very nice edu- educational uh, program, and we studied basically every week. Uh, we had a class, uh, uh, we had a, a, what we call like a meeting with the, with the suppliers, uh, and I learned a lot from them, and I developed my, uh, my wine uh, knowledge. I started already at Sobatoto because I, I used to do all the lists for them, but with Winebow, I got a little bit more in, uh, deep into mm-hmm. and I at that time did the um, ASA uh, foundation course so the American Sommelier Association foundation course um, of course thinking always to pursue and and do the second and third level of wine mm, right so that makes sense now you're in charge of everything wine list sake list and cocktails at uh, Sasuke Zanodera okay so um, yeah let's uh, you, you said you know the, uh, the sake about this bell that's kind of a shrine of sake Yes, uh, it's a, a very old place, but they have. Um, I think it's about hundred sake. Um, at the time that I work with them, we had about maybe about seventy-eight to eighty. Mm-hmm. Um, Sakagura, that's a sister restaurant. They always have way more than a hundred. Um, but our storage was a little smaller. Clarinete was a little bit different. But I believe now they they probably have about a hundred. Mm-hmm. At that time, we were but they were uh, uh, getting a little bit more space to get a little bit more sake for uh, choices for the customers. Mm. This is interesting. It's kind of like uh, in the midtown, and you could just pass, and then... Oh, uh, the uh, Decibel? Decibel. It's the village. Oh, that's it. Yes, sorry. it's the village. Oh, that, that's yes. a, that's, well, but, you know, the, sorry. The Decibel, you pass by, and then, like, wow... It's know. kind of like a downstairs-ish, right? Yes, it's it's downstairs. It's it's. We I always say it's a little hole in the wall. Mm. But you want to have fun and you want to enjoy like and a variety of different sakes for a very reasonable price. I think Isabel is one of the best choices. Mm. Yeah, it's almost like a community or some kind of very intimate ambience. It's it's where all the the sake geeks go in right. that way, and everybody in the industry um, after work. Sesebel is one of the places that probably it's open until a little bit late, mm. so we end up there drinking sake. Right. <laughs> so you really started from the very deep place. Oh yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and also uh, you worked at the N Japanese Brasserie and uh, Masa Kajitsu. So what kind of experience did you have at each place? Um, so, in Japanese brasserie, um, I was a bartender there. 
um, before that, I was I was helping a shochu brand called Mizunomai to uh, develop. Um, so I really, really got in contact with a lot of mixologists and bartenders. Mm. Jesse, the founder of uh, Mizunomai came here a long time ago, but he's amazing. Yes, yes. So Jesse Falowitz, yes. Right. He, we started, when he first started Mizunomai, we started together. I helped him uh, in the first steps of developing his brand mm. um, and meeting all the mixologists and bartenders and being in that world. It got my mind so fascinated with the cocktail um, uh, in, and cocktail environment in industry. Um, so when I had the chance to work at N Japanese Brasserie and they offered me the position of being a bartender, I embraced it with all my heart mm. and I learned as much as possible from every single person that was working there and getting every single tip and advice from all my friends that are bartenders and mixologists. Mm. So and Japanese brasserie, beside having a lot of uh, very high celebrities that goes there that really, really uh, actors and actresses and models and supermodels that I grew up watching, uh, having the chef Abe with the, the amazing way that he, he developed his cuisine mm. um, and being capable of contributed in his and uh, their cocktail uh, program. That was a fascinating time. Mm. And after and Japanese Brasserie, that's when I got my uh, certification as a, a kikizakeshi, as a sake sommelier. It was 2014. Uh, and that time I got an offer to work with uh, Chef Masa at Masa. Um, and in Time Warner building. In Time Warner building. And mm. that was, um, was not a second thought of going my next level and it was very scary but i learned everything i learned on high-end restaurant i would say i, I learned at masa mm. well i hear that the masa could be the most expensive japanese restaurant in the whole country so super yes. high-end and uh, all those um, big fans of masa cuisine so wow and uh, and then you went to kajitsu that's uh, uh the vegetarian Yes. traditional Japanese kaiseki restaurant. So right? kajitsu, it's a Buddhist cuisine, um, mainly vegan uh, upstairs, and we have kokage downstairs that's uh, a non-vegetarian. So kajitsu, just to meet the Zen side of Japan and the beauty of Kyoto kaiseki style and the, the uh, high-quality ingredients and the way they develop every single sauce from scratch because it has to be vegan. Um, that was also very fascinating for me. And be capable of pairing uh, uh, um, with very high-end sakes and their beautiful cuisine. That was actually my first restaurant where I, I put it myself out of the box and I decided to create a premium sake pairing mm. where I opened bottles that we used to sell up to $500 and being giving the customers that opportunity to drink an ounce and a half with the pairing with the cuisine, with the, with the kaseki with the courses mm. so that was uh that was a little bit just a little scary but we end up having an amazing success mm. with the new uh premium pairing at kajitsu right that's how you educate people to the next level right because once you have a really good one you remember it and, and you know and then you you have that choice of depends on your cuisine because it's not that an uh, an expensive sake is not good it's Every sake to me is amazing. But when you have their choice, oh, today I'll have a little bit more of a high end and I know what I want to have. Mm. And then today, you know, I'm like a little, I'm in a pizza place. I want to have sake with pizza. And you can actually do it. Mm. So if you, my, my, uh, 
idea is always to educate my customer as much as I can. Mm-hmm. And I also encourage to I created a cocktail program with, uh, without using any type of spirits. Oh, wow. Yes, they didn't carry any spirits, only wine, uh, beer, and sake. Uh, so I had to play a lot and, and being capable of creating a cocktail program that didn't use vodkas, gins, any type of spirits. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Well, that means that uh, it tends to be low alcohol. Yes, Definitely. Right? By definition, because you can go beyond. It's impossible to go higher. Right. Oh, that's great. So because it, it, you could pair the kind of cocktails with food even. Definitely. Definitely. I think that's the best type of cocktails that you can do with food. If you get a lot of spirits, it, your buds, depends on the food that you have, your taste buds will be a little compromised for sure. Because mm, with alcohol... Because the high alcohol will mask a lot of, uh, uh, will numb a little bit your taste buds in a mm. way, and will mask a lot of uh, the, f- uh, the flavors that you can actually enjoy if you just do like a very low alcohol cocktail. Mm. Interesting. Right. So, um, so the, after that, you worked at uh, Noda, which is another super high end yes. restaurant. <laughs> and then, so came to Sushi Giza Noda. So, what happened? Um, I was at Noda for a very short time. It was just only five months. I just helped them open the restaurant and develop their service style and their list. Um, and Chef Saito, that used to be our chef at Sushi Ginzo Nodera, he's always been wanting to work with me. And he was actually my door to get inside Sushi Ginzo Nodera. Mm. And yes, it's, it's always been my... Um, I was very interested in, in working in a type of sushi like... Sushi Ginza Onodera. Mm, right. Okay, so we're going to get into the Sushi Ginza Onodera's food in a moment. But uh, so how do you characterize uh, the New York City Japanese restaurant culture versus the Japanese restaurant culture in Japan? Because you spent 15 years in Japan, right? So how do you compare? Um, when I was in Japan, because I was more on the modeling side, I, I didn't really pay so much attention on what, what was the restaurant industry there. But as a customer being there and as being um, with uh, a very in- interesting group, because modeling, we have photographers, stylists, makeup artists, and people that travel all over the world. Um, I'll tell you the gastronomy in Japan, it is one of the top in the world, for mm. sure. Um, Japanese has a passion for food, has a passion for new uh, uh, taste, and it, it, they are very open-minded to taste new things. And I see the Japanese will make, they will try to, but their twist and their uh, elegance and their subtleness, because Japanese food, it has a very nice elegance and subtleness to it. Compared to New York, I would say that New York right now, it's getting way, way more on a gastronomy uh, side that used before, mostly because I think a lot of people are more open up for uh, new flavors and taste, mm. something that I didn't see so much before. But now I see that people challenge and will taste something that's a little bit more fishy on a sushi side or something that uh, normally they would not do it in, in a, a normal environment. Mm. So maybe all those social media on the internet information are helping 
to increase that curiosity oh, and actual courage. Def- <laughs> yes, definitely, definitely. It's really pushing, especially uh, the, the, the way people take pictures, the, the way the pictures come out, and it gets people to really want to eat it and taste it and try and give their opinion on, on the flavors of uh, the, new, the new food in a way. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting, right? Those restaurants are um, sometimes critical of customers taking pictures, but it's actually raising the bar of the whole culinary world globally. It, 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 it's being able to see the uh, same dish from many different eyes. Right. Yeah. I mean, now that the technology is so advanced that some movies are made by iPhone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, I'm not, you know, into the taking pictures and real conversation. That's not what it is. But I think it's it's good to have, you know, awareness of the restaurants. It's being seen and people appreciate it. And uh, I get the share of that evidence of how good it is. That's, I, I don't think uh, it's not bad at all to have take pictures taken. So anyways, um, so... You know, you kind of mentioned how you learned about, you know, the sake and shochu, cocktail wine, the knowledge. But um, how hard was it? Because you, you just, you were curious about all those things. So you naturally absorbed what you wanted uh, to. I think that that really goes on my, I guess, my Japanese side. Um, I I need to know everything <laughs> <laughs> to be to be comfortable, to, to be prepared. Mm. Um, study something I've been doing for 11 years now. I haven't stopped studying. Um, my plan this year maybe is to do the wine course and become a wine sommelier also. But I, I've i been studying um, and I've been trying to get information uh, online uh, through suppliers, through breweries owners, um, through the sommeliers there. I've been doing this job way ahead than me. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm always trying to learn as much as I can. Mm. If you say hard or easy, it's fun for me, so I don't see so hard, and I'm very hard on myself, but um, it, it, is, it, is, uh, it is a process. It's been 11 years, mm. or all I know from every single person and every single information that I get. Mm. Right, so the curiosity. But I imagine, though, that you kind of study for your customers, Yes. Right? So that you can tell the stories and something fun about what you serve. It's it's my it's so much passion that I have with beverage that it, that comes out when I talk to customers and having the story of the background of who makes and how he makes. So not all the customers are interested in hearing, but a lot of customers are very interested to know and makes a difference. Like before, they were only interested about the polish ratio of the rice, but nowadays they want to know why this gentleman made the sake in this way. So it's 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 a lot of fun for me to mm. be capable of talking to customers that way. Right. Yes, and educate them as much as possible. Mm. What about you know, for instance, uh, sake breweries? You know, number of breweries are declining, and uh, I think you know, what about the wine or sake or shochu? Whenever I see in person, the producers, I feel like, oh, I have to support them. And you tell the story. And uh, do you think it's important for, you know, the producers to come to the States or whatever the market is and speak to the local, you know, 
sommeliers and the customers? Oh, definitely, definitely. There's a lot of information that's not listed, uh, that's not uh, shown on online, or uh, the suppliers are not uh, not really has has to give us so being capable and talking to the producers to the brewers owners to the toges to the makers it's it's very um, mind opening in a way and little by little you have more questions and things they don't think they have to to give the information to customers or to us that sommeliers that wants to sell their product um, and also it's very important because then I know why they make the way they make their concept their philosophy the way they want to sell it why they want to sell it that way that's very important because at the end of the day is their product and I need to respect as much as possible respect as much as possible respect completely what they they, what do they want to pass to their customer? Mm. So I'm kind of the middleman. I'm the information and then translated a little bit between the brewers, the wine makers, and the, the sake makers to the customers. Mm. So what the best way? You know, they they are trade shows, but is that the most effective way to sell, or you they should come independently and visit different kinds of uh, restaurants and bars and meet? If they can come individually and, and visit, that's much better for us because then we will have like a whole year of people coming. I know the shows, everybody comes at the same time and it's becoming very hard because there's so many people to see and so many restaurants to go that when they come little by little, that's much easier. We had an event last week at Sushi Ginza Onodera with a producer and it was very... Uh, mind-opening, seeing how much the customer got excited to be capable of talking to him. Mm. They were amazed by being able to shake his hand, talking to him, and ask their questions directly. So doing that event at Sushi Gizondera, to me, it was a very mind-opening for the future ways to educate customers. Mm. Right. Oh, no, especially someone like you who can speak Japanese and English. And I know that sake brewers tend to have no idea, uh, especially because of the Japanese language barrier. And, you know, most of them have not been to New York or big markets. It's, there's, a, you know, kind of like uh, challenges mentally before they try to even come to the market so yes so i i'm like i'm tr i try to get that distance a little bit less mm -hmm. between them and the customers right yes. oh, hopefully there are going to be more sommeliers like you i hope so too. yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh, let's take a quick break here and uh, when we come back we'll discuss uh, what beverage we should pair with sushi so please stay with us Today's program is brought to you by Koin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Koin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan-Asian to American, and that is why they are located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Koin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view the exquisitely designed tableware and the Welsh natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services, from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Koin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table, 
so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit coring.com. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio has plenty more. Hi, I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I'm the host of Feast Your Ears here on HRN. My show explores the world of food through storytelling. Every week, I talk with people inside and outside the food world about how experience has shaped what they eat and cook. You can find Feast Your Ears wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Needs, broadcasting live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Aki Kotema, and my guest today is Yuki Minakawa, who is the beverage, uh, beverage and service director of Sushi Ginza Onodera in New York City, which has two Michelin stars. So now let's talk about your, what you do now. Yes. Uh, so what is Sushi Ginza Onodera? Okay, so Sushi Ginza Onodera, our concepts from Ginza to the world. And it's actually uh, pl- uh, written on our website. We're serving quality Edomai-style traditional sushi with fish imported from Toyosu Fish Market and Igata Prefecture rice tinted in red vinegar. So basically, that's what we are. We mm. are Edomai-style sushi. Right. And it's, uh, it's, it's funny, right? So Tsukiji moved, so it's now new Toyosu Market. Toyosu Market, right. yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so what kind of menu uh, do you serve? Like, you know, lunch? And dinner, they have two serv- services, right? Yes. So we have two services, lunch and dinner. Lunch, we have two seatings, one at 12 o'clock and one thirty. And we have three different types of uh, omakase style. We have uh, 10 pieces style, 13 pieces style, and 15 pieces style. Mm-hmm. Um, so lunch, it's very uh, for anyone that really want to taste our sushi and doesn't want to... Um, spend that much mm-hmm. so you get one appetizer 10 pieces one appetizer 13 pieces or one appetizer and 15 pieces for um lunch time of course follow with miso soup dessert and tea mm-hmm. okay and for dinner for dinner we have two different type of makase we have our seasonal makase that comes with five appetizers um 10 pieces of sushi uh miso soup uh, dessert and tea um and with our seasonal you do have a choice to Give uh, to add some supplement uh, courses that normally it's served in our premium. So we have a premium kiwami, seven appetizers, 10 pieces of sushi, uh, miso soup, dessert, and tea. And those two appetizers you can actually order as a, um, a supplement course on our season omakase. Mm, right, beautiful. So um, it's not cheap. You know, it's cheaper than masa. Yes. <laughs> so uh, for dinner, like, you have like $300 and $400. But I'm sure that's really worth it. That's the whole thing about craftsmanship and the best pieces, kind of fish and the service, not yes. to mention, and the sushi chef's skills, which was accumulated over years and years. So that's uh, the sushi ginza onodera. And where is it located? We are located in 461 Fifth Avenue, just across the street from New York uh, New York uh, Library. Mm, beautiful. Okay, so, um, well, by the way, uh, the, this Ginza Onodera is a brand and which has 11 restaurants in seven cities worldwide, and uh, including London, Paris, Shanghai, and L.A. And, and Hawaii. Uh, and Hawaii, too. <laughs> yes. wow. And the categories of... It's wide range, sushi, teppanyaki tempura. And uh, it's not just that, it operates a diverse range of uh, businesses, including food services at the hospitals, schools, sports facilities, and even a sushi school. Yes. So 
I was a little curious about this sushi school thing. It's called、uh, the Onodera Sushi Academy、yes. in Tokyo. So, what is it? So, Onodera Group has four different companies underneath, and one of the companies is called PW Holdings. It operates our language schools in some Asian countries and also in Hawaii. And PW right now has our Sushi Academy School, where we'll be capable of teaching、uh, the young、uh, chefs or the young、uh, cooks that would like to become a sushi chef.、Um, and then we'll bring them to our restaurants also, and they can start it already there.、Mm. Um, so, right now, we Doing the academy for about a year, and、uh, right now we do not have English, English language、um, courses,、uh, only in Japanese. But we all we more than welcome any foreigner,、um, non Japanese chef or cook that would like to learn sushi that speaks Japanese.、Mm. Uh, but the next step, the next uh, uh, way, the next level, it will be to、uh, make our.、Um, Sushi classes also in English.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was curious. So,、uh, on the website, it says、uh, the maximum 18 students and there are three teachers. So, it's almost like private classes, you know, six,、um, six students per, per teacher, and、uh, three months. Yes. And 60 classes. So, and it's so smart because, you know, the sushi is really popular. And I, I always often get asked, Do you know any good sushi chefs I can hire? It's like, no, there are so many available. So, what they're doing is they're really making sure they have the, the best supply of well trained chefs who can work for the restaurant that they operate、yes. outside Japan. So,、yes. I think it's really smart. Yes, yes, because it, it's、uh, the development of a sushi chef, it's many, many years. So, they are trying to find a very Um, efficient and practical, and a faster way to get、uh, the cooks and the chefs、uh, in practice. Right. And also, it's almost for good students, it's guaranteed to get a job on graduation. Definitely, definitely. Right. Yeah, definitely. They'll probably will, they'll, they'll definitely have competitions inside where who's going to go to Hawaii, who's going to go to LA, who's going to stay in, in, in Japan. But most of the students will go through、uh, first the Sushi Ginza、uh, Onodera in. Japan before、mm. uh, departing to different countries. Right, that's interesting. Okay, so, all right, so let's go back to、uh, Sushi Ginza Onoda, New York. So, you are、uh, the beverage and service director of the restaurant. So,、uh, what kind of beverage menus do you have?、Uh, we have everything. So, we have champagne, wine,、uh, cocktails, beer, whiskey, shochu, sake, of course.、Uh, we have everything. We have a full bar at the restaurant.、Mm. So,、uh, what kind of、uh, customers do you have?、Oh, our, um, our customers is, very, is a variety.、Uh, being in Fifth Avenue, you definitely get a lot of tourists that will come. We have a lot of people that come as a destination that already know they, they want to come to Sushi Ginza Onodera specifically.、Um, we do have a lot of regulars.、Uh, but I see when it comes to、uh, different nationalities, I see a lot of Brazilians there. I see a lot of Chinese. Brazilian, because you are inviting them? <laughs> I, I, wish, I wish I would take the credit for that, but nope, not me. <laughs>、mm, interesting. Yeah, they do have like, a, a, I think it's a, a couple offices around there that mainly Brazilian、uh, workers. And they come, most they start coming for lunch and they love our sushi so much, they end up coming for dinner too and bring their wives, their, their spouses. Yes. Mm. Mm. Right. So、uh, among those,、uh, you know, divers, Clients, what kind of、um, beverage 
or you know any any preference mostly ordered by them I would say I would say the Brazilian goes for the sake for sure right away yes um, sake is always a big uh, our big uh, the, the choice between our among our customers but I do have a lot of Asians that like to have a, like a light cocktail just a little bit a lot of people don't drink that much uh, so they will they'll choose like a light cocktail um, and, and then they have a specific pairings that it goes to a specific uh, uh, nationality for example Japanese will do toriyasu so it starts with a beer yeah. well, let's talk about this you know it's so funny right so when people dine out in this country like in New York you know, it's just, just you know, go, that, go out, so let's have a glass of cocktail first. But then in Japan, like, sit down, let's have a beer. Yes. No question. Yeah, just- be- beer is water for Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where the, the habit comes from. I, I think, I guess, from, like, all the salarymen getting together after work and, and doing their little cheers, I guess beers is the easiest thing to drink mm. and is a way to just quench your thirst because beer is made to quench your thirst. Right. Yes, and I think they, they view that as water. Mm. <laughs> right. Yes. So, toriyasu beer. Toriyasu <laughs> So, Japanese will start with a beer. Sometimes they will start with a glass of champagne, um, but then they will go for sake, and Japanese love having Bordeaux with sushi. So they what? do have, yes. Interesting. <laughs> yes, they really like having um, a very nice, bold Bordeaux with uh, sushi. Do you think it's because of uh, the tannins in Bordeaux grapes? I think I think the Japanese love the fish, the really flavor of the fish. And some fish really, they, they really brings the more of the f- fishiness when you have with a, a Bordeaux wine while and, and a different like let's say any like a non-Japanese will do a, like maybe a sonsayer that's a, a, a type of wine that's very sharp to break the fat of a fish mm. Japanese would want to enhance that that the oiliness fishiness. yeah, yeah. The fishiness yes and Chinese, uh, uh, high-end Chinese, let's say, that want to spend a little bit more, they love doing pin, uh, old Pinot Noir with Toro. Mm. And I love that combination. I think it's, it goes really well, especially if you chill your Pinot Noir a little bit without being room temperature and you have with like a, a nice piece of uh, like a Toro. It's, it really goes well. Right. I, I kind of sense it because Pinot Noir has some bloody... You know, like irony taste, right? So that comes almost like a blood in uh, Toro. It, 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 in it, the Pinot Noir has a very nice acidity too. So the acidity will break the fat from the Toro. Mm. And that combination of flavors, it enhances the flavor of the fish. Mm. Yes. Well, that, you know, the Bordeaux and the fish pairing is a good lesson. It enhances the fishiness, but if you are into those flavor, you should. You should do it, yes. Right. And uh, things like um, Riesling. Some people like Riesling. I, dry Riesling? Uh, yes, I, I, li- I love dried Riesling. And dried Riesling definitely with the sushi goes extremely well. Um, especially some uh, dishes that's a little bit more on a fat, not on a fat, like creamy. Let's say I'll put Riesling and Chablis almost in the same category uh, with oysters, with uh, scallops that will go really well, uh, with a light fish, uh, with a little bit um, from light to medium fish, I think goes really well. Mm. So, um, so, but in general, would you suggest white wine with uh, sushi? Well, if you were, an, like, if you want to, um, we'll say, if you're not 
too familiar with uh, with wines, I think the white will be the best way to start. Um, I wouldn't go too sharp like a Sancerre. I would do maybe a Bordeaux Blanc. That's like a, a Sauvignon Blanc Semillon. That's it's a little bit more on a round away. Mm. Um, or very nice like light Chardonnay, Burgundy Chardonnay. That's probably what I would have started with. Someone that's just starting uh, to pairing the sushi and mm. fish, yes. Right. And naturally, you know, I, I've done um, parallel pairing, you know, like a glass of white and the sake with sushi. I just like, you know, tasting setting. And uh, it depends on what kind of sake and wine, but sake is forgiving. So it's easier to make a mistake, but it's okay. You are not making mistake, that kind of thing. I would say I always find so much easier to pair sake with anything because sake doesn't have so much acidity, so it doesn't fight so much. Mm. I always find a little bit harder with uh, with wine than with sake. Ah, so that's the key. Key is uh, the acidity. Yes, the acidity. You can play when you do pairing. You can do two things. You can combine two flavors, or you can go against. Mm. The acidity works a lot, or as a, like a palate cleanser in a way. So it cleans up a little bit your palate, um, breaks fat, um, enhances like sweetness, things like that. So acidity definitely is one of the keys for pairing. Mm. Right. Another thing about sake is uh, even if it's dry in terms of uh, you know the sugar contents. It tastes sweeter or some rounded fruitiness. Sake, it's rice. So rice is sweet. So definitely you you always get, it, even if it's just a touch, you always get a touch of sweet on sake for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. So does it help to pair with different kinds of food? It, it can help or you can really throw you off in a way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But uh, um, I... I haven't been wrong much on my sake pairings, and I always help. I always get the help of all my customers when I do a sake pairing for them. I make sure that I ask, "What do you think?" Everybody's palate is different. Everybody's idea is different. So I did have a couple pairings that I did that the customer told me, mm. "Don't do it again." Okay. <laughs> right. So what's the taboo on? Choosing sake with a certain kind of food. Um, I try to find a very interesting, f- like I try to find what is in in the in the food that I want to enhance. For example, we have a, a hairy crab dish at uh, Onodera, uh, and I always pair with a um, miyosakai tenmi. And I do believe that sweetness from the the uh, crab and the touch of sweetness that we get from the the Mitsui Matsui uh, Mitsui Matsuyama's rice from. Uh, Sakai Tenmi, it just really, really blends together amazingly. Mm. So I f- try to find the point on the food that I want to enhance and the point of the sake that I want to enhance, and then I try to put them together. Mm. So that's the yes. people say they're complements or contrast. So yes. that's the complement side. That's the complement side. Right. Contrast, contrast side, I think I work more when you say, let's uh, a mackerel, a saba, uh, because it's extremely fishy, a lot of oil. Mm. And if, he, if it's non-Japanese, then I want to break that fat. I want to make sure that's gone. So I get a very dry sake and a pair with. Let's say we have one uh, at the Unodera called Yukiotoko, it's a Jumai sake. That's a, a plus 12, so it's extremely dry. When I pair that with Saba, I get a lot of uh, happiness from my customers, for mm, sure. Okay. But Done. if I want to enhance that oiliness, then maybe I'll do a taruzake. 
And then mm. that taro is like the flavor of the wood with the oiliness of the, the saba and the roundness. I think that will combine. Mm. So taro sake basically is a oak aged sake. It's a cedar. Cedar, 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 yeah, aged, cedar aged sake. Yes, yes. So, um, so the, the rule is if you don't like fishy stuff, get the dry sake. Yes. And, uh, but the dryness is usually in, on the back label. Right. Some of the most of the sakes now they all listed, um, and you can always you can always ask your um, sake sommelier at at the restaurant in any restaurant. They will definitely they will know your portfolio much more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they the, the portfolio of the restaurant. So they will definitely will know which sake will be the driest and which one will be the sweetest. Right. And definitely, if you don't like that fishiness, go for the dry sake that you will be much happier. But I was don't don't forget that you have other fish it comes with. Mm. So you need to balance too. Yeah, I always I would say like get one glass for the fishiness and get maybe like a, bo- a nice bottle for everything else. Mm, yes. Interesting. Right? That's a good advice. Yeah. Because it's, uh, you know, that's each sushi piece has completely different personalities. So it's very hard. But yeah. So well, what's the most forgiving item though? Sake or wine? You know, if you have to order one bottle of something at the restaurant, at the sushi restaurant. I'll tell you, go for your preference because you never go wrong. Oh. Uh, so that's that's for sure. Uh, so if somebody is not used to sake and order a bottle of sake, you might not be a very good idea. Only if you decide to challenge to be challenged. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I would say go for your preference first. And if you wanna like if you wanna adventure and try something new, get a glass first. Mm-hmm. Or you know, talk to your sommelier, see exactly where because your first impression is going to be very very strong so mm-hmm. you want to make sure that first impression will be taken in a, in a very nice way right yes yeah and if you can have one moment of what what is you know the synergy between this wine or sake or anything with the piece of sushi and you just stop talking <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> you know that kind of if you have that moment uh, at least once per dinner I think uh, you're good. You're going to oh, keep yes. learning. <laughs> right. Okay, so uh, I'm going to talk about your cocktails too. So you are, uh, you concoct different unique cocktails. So you, give me an example, what kind of uh, uniqueness you have. So I, I like to play a lot with uh, with my cocktails and I try to make my bases at, at, at the house. Uh, so we do have one called the cranberry kiss. Our cranberry kiss is basically just a normal cranberry vodka, but I made the cock- uh, made the cranberry inside the house. So I make sure that it, it has a little bit more of freshness of the cranberry, a touch more of sweetness, and I know exactly everything that's inside. So it's no preservative. That's nothing. It's made. It's kept it in free in refrigerator for like three four days, and then we will make another batch. Mm-hmm. Um, I put it a little bit of cinnamon with, so I can give a little bit earthiness. So that's uh, with that cocktail. Um, so it's just a little twist of our normal cranberry vodka, and I do have another one that it's it's I really like. It's, it's my one of my favorites called Namida, and Namida is actually the fresh wasabi that you have in the omakase restaurant, mm-hmm. and I get that uh, fresh wasabi and I infuse in uh, Santori the new Santori vodka, and I let it sit and make a, a wasabi vodka, and I created a martini out mm, of it. That's the haku. Haku, I, yes, I, yes, I yes. tasted it. it. Was really rice vodka. Yes, yes, I, and it's very, it's very light in a way. So even though it's a martini, it's not gonna have a punch. 
but it does have wasabi. Mm. But fresh wasabi is not extremely spicy. It does have a touch of sweetness. Mm. So I think those two right now is my favorite in a way uh, that you can actually enjoy with food. Right, because uh, the sushi rice with wasabi, that's a parallel of that cocktail. Yes, exactly. Right. Exactly. Oh, that's, yes. that's interesting. I have to come and drink. You have to. <laughs> right. Okay. So, um, yeah, so you've worked in the Japanese restaurant industry for over 10 years now. So, do you see any trend? Um, I, like we were talking before, I think customers are uh, more open to new flavors. Uh, and I would say, food wise, I think like customers are just more open for new flavors before omakase it uh, like a saba or like a sama the, like a little bit more of a fishy type of uh, fish it was not very welcome by a lot of people nowadays people actually go after those mm. uh, so i think the 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 buds and the, the flavor um development in the in the palate it's is actually improving growing for sure interesting because yes. i think the the current customer generation um, is the generation, first generation, whose parents are eating sushi very often. So they are born with sushi. Yes, yes. I've seen babies picking up a piece of sashimi with no soy sauce and <laughs> munching out in a way that I, I, I find amazing. Right. Yes. And it's good for the baby. Yes, it's good for the baby, <laughs> for sure. Yes. Right. Okay, so, um, yeah, so what's your plan Ooh, my plan. <laughs> so this year, um, I'm already a sake sommelier, uh, certified shochu advisor, um, and I will pursue my wine uh, courses this year and mm. try to become a wine sommelier certified. Um, just put it, I just want to put it in a paper, um, the knowledge I have. And it's a little scary, but definitely on a uh, uh, professional career that's my next step and also being capable of uh, changing a little bit of the service um, way to do onomakase high-end restaurant in Japanese try to combine the French high-end uh, service and the Japanese omotenashi kaisek service and try to create a new counter omakase service because if we do French, that will be too technical in a way, and we'll lose a little bit of that subtleness and beauty that Omotenashi um, service, customer service Japanese will have. Mm. But if you do it completely Japanese, you end up missing that beautiful technique that the, the French develop for service in a high-end restaurant. So right now, for this year, we'll probably will try to create a, a, a a different type of service where you can combine friendliness and elegance, saronez, omotenashi, everything, and do the omakase, sushi omakase service, high-end mm. service. Yes. Interesting. Yes. Right. I don't think there are many places. Um, I think the sushi Nagazawa, I sense that kind of, you know, um, smooth flow of service physically and also reading your mind. And uh, you offered something, you are... That was in your mind before you asked for it. So that's the Japanese omotenashi. Yes, right. yes, yes. Okay, great. So uh, where can we find you online? Um, I'm Yukimi Nakawa, anywhere. <laughs> so Yukimi Nakawa, I'm on Facebook and also on Instagram. Um, I do not have uh, a specific uh, social media for my work. Um, this is basically my life in a way. Um, I am I'm passionate with beverage, I'm passionate with food, I'm passionate with service, but I'm also passionate with animals. So and <laughs> oh. yes, and just little throw my 
dream and my plan for the future is actually do a uh, animal sanctuary. Oh wow. Yes, yeah, so yes. So if you go to my social media you will see a lot of very amazing wines and sake and very high end uh uh, beverages and also food, but you see a lot of animals too. Interesting. <laughs> okay. So, and uh, yeah, listen, I can of course go to Ceci Quintanudera and find you. Yes, please, please. I'm there five days a week, so you can always come and see me and mostly at dinner time. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Vicky. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me uh, here. So p- p- keep me posted and then we can do a maybe more detailed pairing. Yes, episode. yes, definitely, definitely. It, was, it will be my pleasure to come back here and talk to you and your um, uh, uh, listeners. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. So listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japanese at heritageradionetwork.org or kikokatema.com. And Japan Eats live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So our engineer is uh, Matt Patterson, and uh, thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.